Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the BMcast. Not a podcast that thrashes an artist for one of their first ever pieces of magic art just because it's not to their taste, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott and I am joined by the Tidebinder mage herself, Emma. How are you doing this week? Yeah, doing better, thank you. Spent most nice. of my week uh, being knocked out with the flu, so I haven't done a huge amount outside of just sleeping and, you know, making ill noises. What I did do when I was feeling better, I did manage to play a couple more Vintage Cube drafts before they ended on MTGA, because Time Spire Remaster's mm. now out. I did draft a really cool red black deck and discovered the interesting synergy with Corpse Dance and Croaks of Titans of Death Hunger, <laughs> and that's just a really fun combo to do, and I felt really dirty. It was nice. great. So yeah, that was fun. Um, I managed to pick up some actual magic cards, like physical cards for the first time in about six weeks. Uh, picked up some non-foil time shifted cards from Timespire Remastered. So unsurprisingly, I have a set of Raven Inspectors now, and then I picked up some Fragtus, Ancient Stirrings, and Sylvan Scryings for Tron. They look so good in person. Mm. Like, they look great. Um, yeah. So I'm excited to play with them when, you know, paper magic events can return, whenever that may be. And yeah, in terms of content, um, I did a short stream... Saturday night and played a bit of Stardew Valley for the first nice. time. Yeah, it's my first time jumping in, and but there's so much you can do. It felt a little overwhelming because it's just it's so expansive, and you can you can either build a farm, you can either like, talk to people, do side quests, you can have this dungeon crawler aspect as well. It's just so much to do. It's great. Um, I do want to say thank you to those who did jump jump in and popped by, um, and I'm looking to do another one this Saturday coming, which will be at 8 p.m. GMT which is about 3pm uh, on Eastern American time over at twitch.tv slash enzyme. That's pretty much it for me. How about you? How are you doing? I am good. Yeah, yeah, I'd say good. I'm good. Today is the first day, as we're recording here, the first day since daylight savings changed the clocks forward. So I am looking forward to that extra hour of daylight, even if, you know, we're stuck indoors and can't go out and enjoy it. But yeah, yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. This week's article for me, is about the Strixhaven previews, but more specifically the cards that no one's really looking at right now, because everyone's looking at all hmm. the big flashy cards, the, the modal dual-faced planeswalkers, the, the deans, and all that sorts of stuff, all mad stuff, but there are some cards that have been revealed so far that are just not getting the attention that they deserve, and I think some of them could even could become very powerful commander staples in time, so that is over on Card Kingdom right now, so you can pop over and have a look after the show and check that out. Speaking of Card Kingdom, I was also a guest on the show this week called Going Off. It's like a mini podcast that's up on YouTube at the moment where we talk about all the Strixhaven previews that have come out so far. It was great fun. Yeah, you can find that over on Card Kingdom YouTube as well. Uh, outside of Magic, I had a huge, life-changing event happen this week, Emma. Yeah. We got an air fryer. Wow. It's amazing. I'm so jealous. <laughs> I honestly, personally, I did not think it would live up to the hype. But oh my God, everything is crispier and it's cooked quicker and it's incredible. I made full on legit buffalo wings. I made like little sausage patties for like homemade sausage egg McMuffins. I did like baked mm-hmm. bananas with caramelized cinnamon sugar crust. Like you name it, it doesn't matter. Like I just put it in the air fryer and it was amazing. Everything worked. Baked banana sounds fantastic. I'm so jealous. It's 10 out of 10. Oh, 10 out I need of 10. to get an Bit of uh, muscovado sugar and some cinnamon and then some Greek yogurt oh. topped off at the end. Is Oh, beautiful. Oh, that sounds wonderful. I have used it every single day so far. I've, I've never washed a utensil <laughs> this much in my life. Uh, but <laughs> so now we're not a budget magic podcast. We're a budget kitchen appliance podcast. So we're going to be talking about air fryers <laughs> and kettles from now on. I mean, to be fair, it was only 50 quid in Lidl. So like... It's budget, I guess. That is, that is affordable. <laughs> yep. All right, that's it. We're the budget food cast now. 
If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as $3. You'll get access to all of the notes and deck lists they use on the show, and their $7 tier gives you VIP access to the greatest budget resources of any magic podcast. So what are you waiting for? Visit patreon.com forward slash budget magic cast to level up your game and get your stonks on. Alright, so before we jump into the meat and bones of the episode this week, I have a card of the week for you. Ooh, what do we have this week? It is a card that has lent its name to several different fringe modern decks over the years. And that is Living End. Living End, currently $4. This is great. That's like (laughs) 20% of the cost as of like six months ago, roughly. Uh, because it was reprinted in Type Spiral Remastered. And it's also not seeing a huge amount of play at the moment, so that kind of helps too. The demand is lower. Mm. It is an excellent fringe modern deck. And it's often abused with spells like As Foretold or Cascade ones like Violent Outburst or Electrodominance and all sorts of stuff. There is a list that five out recently that at full budget was about $300. Uh, but I've made a couple of little tweaks mm-hmm. to like the mana base and that kind of thing to get it down to 175 um, I'm going to leave that list in the show notes. So if you're a Patreon supporter, you can access the show notes along with the, the list, the tips and tricks and everything we're going to go through later. And this deck list as well. It's a blue-white living end list. Have you heard the likes of this before? I haven't. <laughs> so I'm familiar with John living end, which is your mm-hmm. classic kind of living end. Um, and then you have the, like, the is it as foretold versions. And sometimes they're Grixis as well, but mostly they're, they're just blue-red. And basically they're a bad blue moon slash splinter twin mm. deck, essentially. Um, but this, they're still good. They're still fun. I played a lot of as foretold living end um, during the height of his popularity. Got rid of it, but I kind of wish I kept it for when uh, Modern Horizons came out because you had Crashing Footballs, mm. which was really good with as foretold. And it kind of expanded into like, this team aversion. Um, but yeah, I love the idea of Living End. It's just one of those sort of cool, classic, modern decks that should be part of the format because it, it gives it that identity. Yeah, absolutely. So if that sounds good to you, you can pick up some Living Ends, like I said, at $4 a piece now. And you can check out that list mm. on our Patreon. Now, one of the big things that happened this week was the Strixhaven previews started. And... We are going to talk about the Strixhaven previews once we see a little bit more of them. So, as we're recording this, this is Sunday. We started getting previews on Thursday, and they gave us a couple of cards, and then went, hey, look at all these other cards that already exist in Magic, except this time they're fancy. And that is the Mystical Archive. So that's what we're actually going to touch on today. Yeah, so what is the Mystical Archive? So... It's basically, it's reprinted cards with special alternate arts, and they're all very, very famous, very, very popular cards throughout Magic's history. Some of them a little more famous and popular than others, but on the whole, I think they've actually nailed it pretty well with this one. They've, they've covered a lot of ground with these. They're all instants and sorceries. Emma, you pointed that out to me. I, I didn't realize this at all. I was like, yeah. oh, where are my creatures? Where's my <laughs> Arclight Phoenix special art, you know? But uh, no, all instants and sorceries. <laughs> And there are special Japanese alternate arts of the alternate arts as well. And they look like, some of them are like very manga inspired. Some of them are like older, like Japanese woodblock art style. They look phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. If you want to check these out and you haven't seen them yet, jump over to Scryfall on the front of their homepage. There's a mystical archive, archive, I guess. And you can run right through all of them there and, and get ready to be blown away. This is some of the best artwork I've seen on 
so good. any piece of paper in in years. Yeah, like they don't look like magic cards. They just look like art. Like it's just just like presented in such a way that you mm-hmm. would not go, oh gee, this is a Magic the Gathering card. Like it's just the art is so good. There's some on there that I just kind of hope they're prints, so I can actually buy mm-hmm. prints of them because they look so elegant and so fancy. And I admit, like I'm not going to be able to get a hold of these because I need to buy a Japanese box of Strixhaven. Yeah. And they're going to be really expensive because of these cards. But I could still appreciate the art because it just looks so good. And good on WotC for doing something a little different compared to other sets. This is very, very unique. So Yeah. But gushing about the art aside, (laughs) we have to talk about what's the point of these. So they're not standard legal, first of all. We might get one of these in every single pack in Strixhaven boosters. They are legal in draft. So if somehow, like you're drafting, say like on Arena or something, and you get one of these in the pack, you will be able to play it in the limited format. In the limited environment, these are legal. In standard environment, they're not. However, they are legal in historic. And this is where huge, huge waves are being made. Now, before we jump into them, there are seven that are banned. I'm just going to list them off. If you know these cards, you're probably going to understand why they're banned. For the most part. Mm -hmm. So we have Demonic Tutor, Channel, Natural Order, Swords to Plowshares, Lightning Bolt, Counterspell, and Dark Ritual. Now, there's already been a lot of discourse over the likes of Swords to Plowshares, Counterspell, and Lightning Bolt not being legal. But we'll leave that for another day. I think think that's kind of run its discourse (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Yes, it has. But what we need to talk about are some of our favourite cards. Now, yes. I, can, I can take a guess at one of yours, but I'm just going to wait and see what, uh, what you're going to say on this, Emma. What would you say are your top three? <laughs> so these announcements, these mystical archive cards for Historic, it's been like magical Christmas land for both of us <laughs> for separate reasons. Um, so one of mine, like my top card to come from the mystical archives is Ephemerate, um, is. which is a common from Modern Horizons 1. It is a nice, it's a blink spell, so one mana blink spell with rebound. It's just so fun to play with. It's warped pauper pretty aggressively mm-hmm. as well. It's a very powerful card. The reason I'm excited about Ephemerate is that I get to do this with Fraben Inspector, which is one of my favourite cards in recent times. So all I'm going to be doing is just blinking Fraben Inspectors just willy-nilly and having a great time. Probably dying a lot, but I'll have the moral victory because I'll just be playing <laughs> my food with Ephemerates and Fraben Inspectors. It's just a really good example of what you want in these mystical archives. Mm. You want these cheap, powerful spells, not format-defining by any way, but just inherently good cards. Mm. And I think Ephemerate's a great example of that. And I'm really excited to see what, what, it, you know, what it does in Historic, because it's, it's a powerful Blink spell. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Have you got anything else that you're excited about from this list? Uh, so there's an- another white card, which is not surprising, because mm-hmm. have you met me? Um, God's Willing. I'm a big fan of God's Willing. Nice. I've played a lot of Feather in Pioneer, and the art on this card... like on both of them, mm. like the Japanese one and the English one, all just look incredible. I'm a big fan of this card. Yeah. And I played it a lot in Standard because Blue-White Heroic was one of my first decks I played and I played God's mm. Wedding as well. So I've got a I've got an affinity towards it. Um, but yeah, that looks incredible. I don't know what it's going to do in Historic, but I'm just really excited because the, the card looks great. The art looks great. And yeah, more white cards, the better. Yep. And then lastly, uh, one I didn't expect to come into Historic, but I'm also quite excited about is Lightning Helix. Yeah. We can't have Lightning Bolt, but we can have Lightning Helix. Um, not sure where this is going to land, because I don't know if Burn Decks are really a thing in Historic at the moment. Kind of um, But it's, it's a neat card to have in the format. And again, the art looks great. And yeah. I'm just really ex- I've played enough Lightning Helixes in my time. So I'll probably force it somewhere in, in Historic. What about you? I, I'm going to give you the floor because well, I know what one of, one of these is. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you've had to put up with me talking about it for the last three days. So 
Uh, <laughs> uh, let's just rip the band-aid off. Fateless Looting is in historic. Fateless Looting is in historic alongside Arclight Phoenix. I'm a happy boy. I am now a historic streamer only. I will be taking no further questions at this time. This is, this is brilliant. <laughs> this is brilliant. And honestly, this is the kind of thing that's needed to show people that Fateless Looting isn't the problem in modern. The problem yeah. is Fetchlands, first of all, help fill graveyards faster than normal, which is relevant for stuff like delve spells and that kind of thing. And yeah. that's why we can have like treasure crews and stuff in Pioneer. There's no Fetchlands. But on top of this, one of the other things that people attribute to the, the brokenness of Fateless Looting it, and it's misplaced is actually Dredge. Dredge is what makes these things yeah. broken in half. Like, any Dredge players listening, yeah. look, I get it. Like, you're playing the broken thing, and that's cool, and that's fine. Like, it's probably smart to do the broken thing, because it's broken. Like, you're going to win more games. And I get that, and that's cool. I'm not judging. However, you can't deny that Dredge mm-hmm. is a broken mechanic. You just can't. It is. It's on, it's on the storm scale for a reason, right? It's, it's, it's 10 on the storm scale, I believe? The point I'm making is... Fateless Looting is going to show in Historic that, yes, decks like Arclight Phoenix and that kind of thing are going to be probably Tier 1 with Fateless Looting, absolutely. But is that a bad thing? No, it's not. It is absolutely not. Especially in a format like Historic where you have stuff like uh, Grafdigger's Cage in the main deck. You know, like, I'm going to have to main deck a Braids in order to make sure that I can deal with that. And, like, that's fine. That's totally, totally fine. It's got to be able to flex its power in a format, in an environment where it is not surrounded by broken things that prey on its yeah. power. And that's what's think, important. I do think there's a bit of tunnel vision with Faithless Sin just because of what it did in Modern, and I think that's just spilling over into Historic. Yeah. Um, I'm quite interested to see what happens with it. Like, it's, it's, I think it's, it's going to be fine in Historic. Granted, that, that comment might age like milk, because, you know, we don't know until we try them. But it'd be really cool to see Arc Light Phoenix come back. So I've always, I was always a fan of Is It Phoenix mm-hmm. in Modern, and I actually didn't think it was that bad as everyone made it out to be. I thought it was a fine deck. Like, it was powerful, but it wasn't, like, format-defining compared to something like Hogak. Yeah. Well, like, what I found crazy was that Arc Light Phoenix in Modern basically just died to Tron. Like, yeah. you can't really kill him super, super quick unless you have a mega nuts draw. And sometimes that often doesn't happen, and then you just get either worm coiled or ugand, and then you're like, "Well, <gasps> game over." And well, and Worldbreaker has reach as well. Yep. Worldbreaker has <laughs> Which reach. People always forget that Worldbreaker <laughs> has reach. I was like, "I'll block it." I like Phoenix, and they're like, yeah. "No, you can't." I'm like, "Yes, I can." Yeah. So I'm going to move on for Fatal Shooting. Uh, this is just all I'm going to say on that one is that it is going to prove its value to a format by helping to enable multiple different strategies like it used to in modern, but without being surrounded by things like Dredge to break the power that it has. Uh, you know, hashtag unbanned looting. We get it. But, you know, has, <laughs> may, maybe I'm going to swap that hashtag from hashtag unbanned looting to hashtag swap looting with stinkweed. Yeah. <laughs> I agree. But, yes. Ban Dredge. Sorry, Dredge players. You had a good run. Uh, <laughs> okay, next up, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to link the other two together because they're basically kind of the same card. Uh, Grape Shot and Mind's yeah. Desire. So, Storm is in Historic. Everybody lost their goddamn minds about this because they're like, oh, God, it's so broken. Let, let me just remind you, just everybody calm down a sec. We don't have rituals in this format. Dark Ritual was the only one, and that's getting banned before it even hits the format. So, chill out. It's cool. It's grand. There's absolutely going to be decks that work with this and are absolutely going to make Storm very, very strong. But remember, there are so many cards that can hate on it so well in 
the format. There's damping sphere. There's you know counterspells to stop the the initial thing going off in the first place. There's graph diggers cages. There's like rest in pieces. All sorts of stuff there. And yeah, it's probably going to be fine. It's probably going to be fine. Now I, I know that I'm saying that like off the back of going or band dredge dredge is broken. Why why why. But the thing is that the the things that make Storm broken are not in the format in the same way. Now, we may end up with mm-hmm. some sort of broken thing like, you know, paradoxical outcome kind of mana reduction artifact kind of Minds Desire Storm thing with like Aetherflux Reservoirs, another Wincon or something like that. And like that could get egregious and horrible, but also you have cards like Abraid to like blow up the Aetherflux kind of thing, you know, so... We'll wait and see. I'm tentatively excited about these because I think that Storm might actually be in a format where it's safe, possibly. It's fine. You got Tendrils of Ag- Agony as well. That's mm. another one that they're bringing into Historic. So it'd be kind of interesting to see where they land. Yeah. Um, one, I, one I am worried about is Time Warp and Regrowth. Like, I'm not excited yeah. to see that in Historic, but mm. I think that's Nexus of Fate, just like having that bad taste in my mouth, you know? Yeah, I think so. Just before we move on from this onto the most powerful tribal deck in modern, which is what we're technically actually talking about this week, but the previews yeah. happened, but still. Uh, one final thing to talk about is Abundant Harvest. Now, Abundant Harvest is a new card that we got in the Mystical Archive. So, Abundant Harvest is one green for a sorcery, and it says choose land or non-land. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a card of the chosen kind. Put that card into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. Now, this card, we've never seen it before. That's because this is a super early preview from Modern Horizons 2, which we were not expecting at all. But you know what? We'll take it. So, yeah. it's... Uh, I like I like previews with my preview season about another set in a preview season. Yeah. It's like Inception, but for previews. Yo, dog, I heard you like previews. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like this card. I like this card. I, I, I kind of dismissed it at first, and then I sort of sat down and thought about it. I was like, what, what, is the, what is the good and the bad of this here? In relation to modern, for example, it's going to be great in the right deck, because it, say for argument's sake, you keep a land light hand and you have an abundant harvest. That's a guaranteed mm. extra land. You just play this and name land, and then you're smoothing out your draws, you're getting the land drops you definitely need to hit. And then in the late game, if you top deck one of these... This is potentially better than a regular blue cantrip because you can hit a glut of lands potentially when in reality you just need to find something and you just cast this and say non-land and then you just flip all those lands away, find another guaranteed piece of gas and then away you go. Mm. And if you've built your deck right, one of the worst things that you'll hit is another abundant harvest and you just go again. So I was thinking about this. It's going to be good in decks like Amulet Titan because one of the worst things you can Mm -hmm. hit off of it if you name non-land is Arboreal Grazer. And one of the best things you can hit off of it is just, oh, well, there's prime time. Let's go. You know, so. Yeah. But I was seeing some people are talking about actually even putting it potentially into legacy lands because. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, that's spicy. In a lands deck, a land strategy deck, the non-land cards that you're putting in there have to be really, really impactful. Otherwise, like, what's the point to just put more lands in? And guaranteeing that you're going to hit one of them for just a single mana and you'll definitely have the mana because surprise, surprise, you're a lands deck. Then that's absurd that's absolutely bananas so yes i see this seeing play in both modern and potentially legacy and 
like let's be real, probably commander and stuff as well. It's it's a cheap knee card, so it's a one mana green card that replaces itself. Yeah, it's gonna do something in modern or legacy. Let's be honest, we've we've seen it before. Mm. Um, I'm a bit tentative on this just because of Modern Horizons one and what it did to the format. So every time I look at a card now, uh, I'm just like, is this gonna break modern again? <laughs> are we gonna have the same thing as before? Because what's he have said? They are pushing the power level of Modern Horizons 2 in comparison to Modern Horizons 1. So that that's in the back of my mind. So yeah. like it's a cool design, don't get me wrong. It's just I'm just thinking like, is this gonna break modern again? Are we are we is this Hogak 2.0? Yeah. Like so. so let's move on. This technically sort of is like a variety episode, I suppose, because there's an awful lot to cover. You know, so we talked a little bit about historic and about the previews and so on and new card from Modern Horizons. The other thing that we're going to be doing here is a little sort of half length kind of modern highlights on what's arguably the most powerful and incredible and impressive tribe in all of the modern format. And that's Merfolk. You got to reel them in, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Happy April Fools, everybody. If you're listening to this on yeah. the day it comes out, happy <laughs> April Fools. Uh, <laughs> I, we, we just got to do it to you, you know? So, yeah, no, for real, we're actually going to cover it. It's going to be a half length because this episode's already kind of going to be long as it is. But, like, as much as we make fun of Murfolk, it's actually not a bad deck. Like, emphasis on the word bad. But, you know, uh, like, they're, they're that buddy that you always kind of, like, make fun of, but you love really, you know? But if someone else was to say something bad about it, then you'd defend them because only you're allowed to take the mickey yeah, out yeah. and nobody else. It's a very weird, protective yeah. sort of thing, yet endearing at the same time. Yeah. I will be honest. I will be honest. I used to be a Merfolk player. I had a Merfolk deck. Okay. I, I sold it on. I'm sorry. <laughs> My condolences. Uh, I mean, like, it was to be expected. I've basically had, like every affordable deck in the entire modern format at this point at one at one stage or another so yeah so let's have a quick chat about it like i said it's not going to be as long as normal now to be honest generally speaking merfolk is a relatively straightforward deck the best thing you can do with this kind of deck is again get reps so i'm going to preface it with that get reps in you'll notice a couple of like neat tips and tricks we do have some to get you started towards the end but let's dive in so it is an aggressive tempo kind of deck and it's, it's very good at pressuring opponents while disrupting heavily. So it does that by using creatures that play with a board state, like Merfolk Trickster and that kind of thing, either with bounce or tap effects, or by deploying lords to increase the pressure. So anything that says, you know, Merfolk get plus one, plus one, or whichever. And being able to counter key spells and shut off lands with the likes of Spreading Seas, they're also key to keeping your opponents off balance in order to close out the game. Now... Like I said earlier about the Blue White Living End deck with Card of the Week, we have three different deck lists here for you to choose from with Merfolk. There's a $100 Merfolk, there's $200 Merfolk with Lurus as a companion, and then there's a special one, which is Mystic Merfolk, which makes use of the new Mystic Reflection from Zendikar Rising, and Master Waves, which is a neat little combo. You can take your pick from those decks. If I was to pick one, personally, I would go with the $200 Merfolk. It's probably like the best in terms of power for your money but they're all very very good regardless what are some of the key cards in this kind of strategy emma 
The reason that you play Merfolk usually is just because you have so many lords. Mm. In comparison to other tribes, you have way more lords, um, which just makes it a powerful deck from the get-go. So you have stuff like Lord of Atlantis and Master of the Pearl Trident. Both of these cards are like the backbone of any sort of Merfolk deck. Because you play a lot of cheap threats, right? And you want to go over Mm. them. So the key is to providing a fast clock on the opponent. Island Walk is a really cool way to get through damage because you have stuff like Spreading Seas, which turns it into an island so you can always connect. Um, Just making your entire team unblockable is so important because Mm. you can be an aggressive deck. So you can disrupt their mana base while still putting on a clock. And it's it's a really nice thing to do because you have so many powerful lands in modern, such as like the Tron lands and Valakuts and stuff like that. So, yes, that that is the backbone of the deck, pretty much. Sweet. Um, Silver Guild Adept is the other key card because it commits to the board while you are able to draw more cards. It's probably one of the best cards to play in uh, any mid-range deck because yeah. it replaces itself, even if it's off the battlefield. Um, it's just a cheap, great threat. You're going to be running so many Merfolk anyway, and it's just you want to keep the action going. So you want to deploy into more Merfolks, you want to hold up those counter spells. It's just a really good way to set you up for your early turns. Mm. Absolutely. One of the other things that this deck, like I mentioned earlier on, is one thing that it's really good at is being able to sort of disrupt the general flow of the game. So be that either bouncing things back to hands with repeal uh, or countering things with deprive, which is essentially counterspell, except you have to bounce a land back to your hand. That normally sounds like a downside, but considering basically everything in the deck costs just two mana, once you have a third land out, it's essentially a counterspell. So, yeah, it's very, very neat. It's very, very good at disrupting. However, there are some seriously dangerous cards for this deck, one of them being Plague Engineer, another remnant of the scourge that was Modern Horizons 1. I say that like it's a bad thing. Modern Horizons on the whole was actually pretty good, but... Plague Engineer was not one of the good things, in my opinion. Uh, It is something that punishes common creature types in decks and tribal decks like this, you know. So it's very, very dangerous, very scary. Similarly, sweepers, you know, for very obvious reasons, you're playing creatures, you're playing a lot of Lord Effects. Tribal decks that are reliant on Lord Effects can often be like a house of cards. Like, they could be really, really impressive. But if you have a sweeper and one of those lords dies, that whole thing is going to come tumbling down. It sucks. Mm. Um, you do have Master of Waves, though, so that does circumvent stuff like Anger of the Gods a little bit yeah. because it's got pro-red. A lot of the time, you kind of have to play around these sweepers. Yeah, so that's, this is why you play stuff like Counter Spells, just to have an option, you know, have an answer to these board wipes, because if you if you get board wipes, it's just like it's game over, pretty much. It's not yeah. a lot you can do. Yeah, Lurus does help in that side of things if you go with the yeah. Lurus version, but it's it's a slow regrowth, you know. One other thing to watch out for is Mystical Dispute can counter basically every single card in the 75 for a single mana. So, yeah, watch out for that. Despite all of the digs that we make towards Merfolk, it does actually have some good matchups. So, uh, one of them that I think is important to talk about is Burn. So, if you tool your deck correctly, i.e. you put in enough counter spells and that kind of thing, you can take over the game with no problem at all you know you can cut them off useful manner with spreading seas like you can take them off their sacred foundry so they can't boros charm you you can just use deprive to like counter a couple of burn spells like an eidolon or something like that you know and the pressure that you're putting on is enormous now again cards that you need to watch out for in this kind of matchup are stuff like searing plays and that kind of thing but if you can avoid them you're probably going to have a very good time other decks that generally are a bit clunky is kind of the term that I use for them is basically any deck that wants to kind of tap out 
and play like one big spell. Perfect example of this is like Green Tron. You generally have a pretty good game against them, especially with the four, de- four main deck spreading seas. That's, that's pretty impressive. It's also very, very good if you get a spreading seas down and then even if they do get Tron and they get a worm coil engine, if you have a Lord, they're going to have Island Walk and you can just get through it anyway, so it's fine. Similarly, Mono Blue Tron's worst matchup is probably Merfolk because yeah. it's, it's essentially like the fish version of Mono Blue Tempo. You know, you're going to run rings around like any kind of slow control deck like that. And then also, you, like I said, like tapping out for big spells like Gruel Midrange kind of does, you know, yeah. that's, a, that's a big one. It's great to be able to turn off stuff like the Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl kind of thing. Yeah. being able to counter just one big threat like if you go counter your glory bringer or counter your uh, season pyromancer or whatever and then you just start laying the pressure on yeah they, they can't really recover from that very well now they do have post board sweepers and that kind of thing so you do have to watch out for those but mm-hmm. other than that their threats can also get like very heavily bullied by your battlefield disruption you know if something goes to attack before combat you can flash in a trickster tap it down now not only can they not attack but they now are down a blocker and oh yeah. it's it can be a huge blowout for them. So, with good matchups, there is obviously some bad ones as well. And like other tribal decks that you can play, uh, Hardened Scales is a pretty rotten one <laughs> because Walking Ballista exists, and a lot of your creatures are X ones or X twos. And if they just make a huge Walking Ballista, they're going to just machine gun your board. Mm. You don't run stuff like Dive Downs or any protection spells off usually. So it's just it's just a, a big feel bad, especially if it's just ping out a Lord. It can pretty much just take the rest of your creatures. Yeah. And also with Hardened Scales, Hardened Scales is really good at just winning out of nowhere. In most cases, you probably have lethal, but you don't realise it. So just binning everything into an Ink Moth Nexus or Artbound Ravager is just, it's very hard to beat because you don't have ways to deal with anything like in the air. So like flyers can be quite tricky to deal with. Mm. You don't see a lot of Hardened Scales these days, just thanks to the banning of Monk's Opal, but it is around. However, you should probably keep an eye on Walking Ballista because it is a beating when it comes down. Mm. Speaking of Walking Ballista... Yeah, speaking of walking ballista as well, you've got green-white Heliod, which is probably one of the best decks you can play in modern at the moment. It's absolutely everywhere on Modo. Infinite life is just very tough to beat for a deck that's trying to be aggressive and get that life total down as quickly as possible. Um, and they also have a load of main deck interaction. They have a, like a toolbox suite, mm. so they have stuff like walking ballista, Ranger Captain of Eos as well to get more threats. It's just, um, They also run stuff like Utopia Sprawl, so you can attack their mana base a little bit, but often you just want to try and be as aggressive as possible but once they get that ballista it's game over pretty much that's it yep now with the sideboard the sideboards that we have included here are all roughly the same because they deal with a number of specific things that you want to deal with so mm-hmm. relic of progenitus the number one piece of graveyard hate to run except in the lurus versions you don't necessarily want to exile your own graveyard so Nile Spellbomb is a good replacement uh, spell snare is fantastic on the draw in particular but it also hits a lot of problem cards that you might just need to be careful of anyway. For example, Engineered Explosives on two will pretty much destroy your entire battlefield. Uh, Dismember, it's it's every color's good removal spell. Right. Yep. So it's great to kill off stuff like Plague Engineer or you know bring it in in other creature matchups and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe kill a Mantis Rider in Humans matchup, that sort of stuff. And then Damping Sphere helps shore up stuff like Storm and Tron and anything else that wants to cast spells or... You know, if you really hate me and you want to play this against Twiddlestorm, I guess you can. You know, I wouldn't recommend it, but, you know, you can if you really want to. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't recommend this against Tron either. It's terrible against oh, Tron. So bad. They just get the con anyway. And, yeah, just Damping Sphere just, like, prolongs that issue. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, yeah. 
So we do have a couple of tips and tricks. Like I said, this is a relatively short one, not because the deck is bad. It is actually a good and fun deck. I will concede to that now that you've made it to the end here. But it's it's one of those decks that it's fine and then you get reps in and then it's suddenly much, much better. There are only so many sort of tips and tricks that we can kind of give. You kind of just need to sort of play around with the timing of a lot of stuff. And that's actually the first topic that I'm going to cover here in the tips and tricks, which is you need to just consider your different timings when using cards like, say, Murfolk Trickster, because you don't always go, oh, at the beginning of your combat, flash in Trickster, tap down your creature, and then I untap an attack. That's not necessarily the best thing to do. For example, if you're facing off against a Stoneforge Mystic that's ready to activate and put a Batter Skull in, you might want to just main phase your Trickster to force them to activate it and put in a Batter Skull. And then you can use something like Repeal to bounce their token, and then they have no blockers, and then they have to reset up the Batter Skull, and then you can just get in a massive, fatty chunk of damage in and just take a big dig out of them and leave them in a really wobbly sort of situation. Also worth noting, with Murfolk Trickster, sometimes you want to let them attack because you can flash it in before blockers and remove all abilities. So think Dryad of the Elysian Grove. That now has no more text on it. It's just a 2-4. You can ambush it and kill it. Murfolk Trickster also preys on Tarmogoyf really, really well. It shrinks it down to an 0-1, which you might want to let the Goyf attack in that scenario because the Trickster will then just eat (laughs) it for breakfast, you know? So that's a good one. That's a good tip there. What you can do is you can hold up mana for Deprive, and if you don't need to cast it, you can adapt your Bethnic Biolancer or Flash in a Trickster. Mm-hmm. So basically, one good thing about playing Merfolk is that you can either interact by countering magic or you can progress your board. Because a lot of your creatures have Flash, so Merfolk Trickster is a good example of this, as you mentioned earlier. And then Bethnic Biomancer is just a really good way to grow your board and, you know, progress your board further. So there's a lot of decisions when mm-hmm. it comes to Merfolk, but it's not linear and it's quite rewarding once you know what you're playing against because a lot of modern is defined on what you know. So eventually you, you'll have these decision trees and it's quite interesting. I know it's merfolk and we're trying to rib merfolk a little bit, but it's quite rewarding. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not a linear aggressive strategy. Let's put it that mm. way. You know. Yeah. Another thing to watch out for is if you ever happen to be in the mirror, watch out for Lord of Atlantis's ability because it gives all merfolk island walk, not just your own. Yeah. So... Yeah, that also applies to changelings because they're also technically merfolks too. So yeah, you probably want to side them out game two, just as a heads up. Yeah, that's pretty reasonable. And then lastly, a mirror regery helps you cheat on mana, so they can untap your lands when you're casting merfolk and makes them cost less. Again, you just it cares about progressing your board and adding more lords and going face. So it's one to keep an eye out. Yeah, that's particularly good in creature matchups because you can use mirror regery defensively like that to help you know flood out the board and 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 put up some effective defenses Mm -hmm. or if you feel like it's a good turn to start getting damage in you can use it instead of tapping on tapping your lands you can use it to tap the creatures and get in so quite nice Mm -hmm. but that is it for merfolk the fish are all right the fish are actually all right just don't tell anyone we said that (laughs) (laughs) yeah secret safe with us like so we've gotten to the end Emma, do we have any Q&A on this wonderful little variety episode? We do have some Q&A. So, Crows Are Black asks, So, with Faithless Looting in Historic, I was pretty excited for it until I heard it's upshifted to Rare. 
Now, the question is, do you risk four rare wildcards on an enabler so good it got banned in modern? And we're talking about arena here, by the way. And if Wizards had a like a wildcard for banned exchange policy, I'd be all in, but I play for free. I don't put any money into it. So like the wildcards are precious. So, you know, what are your thoughts on Faithful Suit and using rare wildcards as opposed to common, which it is mm. in other printing? So there's, there's, there's kind of two questions here. The first one I'm going to say is I don't like how it is rare in arena but at the mm. same time you get one of these cards in every single packet in which you open on arena so even free to play players like if you're doing your dailies you'll get like two or three packs a day and that's great but you will open one or two of these eventually you know there's only so many of those cards you can yeah. eventually open and that does help to mitigate it now it still sucks in comparison to being like oh four common wild cards please but you know i guess they're they're trying to sell the packs and you gotta I guess respect the hustle sort of ish yeah but it's I'm not I'm not excited by it I don't like arena's economy but anyway but I think I think my advice would just be wait to see what happens I'm pretty sure crafting for faith as things is going to be absolutely fine in stock. yes but if you want to see some results to support that that's completely fine because it's it's your resources is how you you do what you want with it Mm -hmm. um honestly if I was you I would just wait but I don't think it's going to get banned I think we've got we're very blindsided to what it did in modern, and modern is a lot different to historic because there's no fetch lands, there's no dredge, so I think it will be better. So yeah, just yeah. wait and see, I guess. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be concerned. Like like we mentioned earlier, I wouldn't be concerned about uh, Fateless Looting's power level basing it on how it performed in modern because they are very very different beasts entirely, as you'll see from the difference in you know the likes of the storm decks or the whatever. Um, that we may see coming out of the mystical archive inclusion so yeah yeah i if you want to hold off a little bit and, and see how it plays out like do not be surprised to see a couple of faithless looting decks be up near tier one but you know what that's kind of what it's supposed to be anyway it's supposed to be a very very powerful card so you know you should expect to see it to the same sort of degree as you see like thoughtsies or whatever you know it's that kind of card mm-hmm. so yeah i'd say it's fine then we have our weekly tweet from Evie the Mage ninety seven. Um, so they say for a stonks this week, I picked up a playset of Arclight Phoenixes oh. for about fifteen dollars. They're about four or five dollars each now, but are worth picking up before the pandemic ends and paper events cause the price to jump because we are starting mm-hmm. to see some Arclight Phoenix appear in like modern and pioneer again. Yeah. Uh, they also have a question: Do you think the rogue strategy can cut it into Demir Delver in modern? Hmm. Okay. Well, before we approach that question. Evie, thank you for spreading the word of my beautiful <laughs> bin chickens. And that's what they're called. They're bin chickens. Their type is bin chicken. Uh, that's their creature type. <laughs> I'm going to stand by this forever. And yes, they, like, to be honest, like, I, I, we mentioned this last week. In Pioneer, is a Phoenix is a deck. Like, it's not a powerful, yeah. powerful deck. It's not tier one, but like, it is like one good card away from being tier one. And until then, it's still just solid. Like, people are still just playing it and doing well with it. So, yeah, pick them up. Like, if you haven't played with Arclight Phoenix before, now is the time to see what all the hype is about because it is absolutely (laughs) hype. It is solid gold hype. I might not be biased, I swear. Uh, (laughs) We found the Prismari student, by the way. Oh, yes. Now, (laughs) speaking of (laughs) rogues, the way that this was phrased is interesting because... I'm trying to figure out if Evie meant, uh, do you think the rogue strategy can cut into Demir Delver in modern? That's the full question. 
kind of cut into, as in can rogues carve a piece of Demir Delver out so that they can slot in? Or Mm. can rogues actually take over in the place of Demir Delver? I think you can do both. I think you can run Delvers in Rogues if you wanted to, yep. because there's enough, like, because it's, it's such a low curve and there's so many, like, cheap spells that you play. You can probably get away with it, especially if you have stuff like Fetchlands as well. Yeah, like, I think you could just run Rogues with four Delvers if you really wanted to play Delvers. Um, like, it's, it's easy enough because they both do the same thing. They're very, yep. quote-unquote, tempo. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you'll, you'll, it's a very protect-the-queen strategy, which Rogues is as well. And you get the additional benefit of milling, either milling yourself or milling your opponents as well. So it's a, it's a nice axis, additional, like, win condition to have alongside just beating people with Delver. Yep. Generally speaking, when it comes to Delver, I always need to have 50% of my deck be spells because I want to be able to blind flip it with some sort of yeah. reasonable... Uh, reliability so if you have let's say for argument's sake four delvers and 12 rogues you know you just pick three play sets of the best rogues you have 16 creatures and let's say you have say you have 18 lands because realistically like the most expensive card in your deck is going to be two maybe three mana Mm -hmm. that puts you up to about 34 cards which leaves you with about 26 spells i'm kind of fine with that you know i'm 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 pretty okay with that yeah like, I do think at this point, at that point, the Delvers are probably the weaker card in the whole thing. So, yes, in, for one aspect of that question, Rogues might cut Delver out of Demir Delver and just make it Demir Rogues. But I also think that as a similar deck, I think you could also just run Rogues separately to a Delver strategy and be a different but similar kind of thing and still be perfectly fine with that too i think i think you could probably tool rogues a little bit differently a little more interesting to play possibly yeah because you can do it in modern because i remember writing about it for tcg player mm. right, a while ago i did like a budget rogues deck and you run some of the Lawwin prowl cards which are really good with rogues like stink drinker bandit which is a really good one that prowls and tutors mm. and yeah you can port it to, to modern quite easily like you can port it to pioneer because we did a we did a challenger deck dive down on you know decks you can play in pioneer and rogues feels largely unexplored in pioneer so you know i think that's a good starting point because it's record standard still at the moment so which means it has potential for pioneer which also means it has potential for modern and there's been a couple of five odor lists in modern so it's it's definitely viable it's just i don't think delver's secrets is part of that but you're welcome to play them because it's your deck you do whatever you want if mm-hmm. you love playing delvers cool go for it not going to judge you it's just if you want some like competitive success mm-hmm. i guess it's just better to cut the delvers and run some up like a couple of like, spell pierces or you know a couple of other like utility rogues or brazen borrower like i really like brazen borrower and rogues so i'd probably want to run a couple of those instead because it, it still has that flight evasiveness yeah. and the power to like, close out games yeah i'm personally just going to recommend add more spell pierces because as soon as you said it, Emma, I was like, I agree. Yes, spell pierce. Add a spell pierce. Yeah. If in doubt, I know you love spell pierce. add a spell pierce. <laughs> Every time. Thank you for listening to us here at the BM Cast, and a special thanks to our patrons. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Alejandro, Kilgore Trout 503, Max Makes Magic, Philippe Delma, The Jazz Guy, The Joe Cheney, Bradley Rose, Dahi Carroll, Ian Holland, and The Pauper Guild. 
and at the Stonks tier we have Anga Orr, Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, and Tom Telford. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash budgetmagicast. If you have any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck. <laughs>